When the art day gets rough, you just gotta keep on punching. And here's your Thunder Punch Daily with Jersey Droz. Switching gears from Gen 1 to talk about Beast Wars. And specifically returning to the character of Megatron, but Beast Wars Megatron, who is a different Megatron altogether. Um, Transformers Animated, Transformers Prime, um, these different series really treated Megatron as this is a reimagining of the character from the Gen 1 series. Maybe we're changing his history, maybe we're incorporating different pieces from different uh, iterations of the series to uh, reinterpret the character a little bit. But this, the Megatron we're talking about in Transformers Animated and in Transformers Prime is the same Megatron as Gen 1 in the sense that he is the one and only Megatron. Now in Beast Wars, Megatron is a different Megatron who just happens to be using the same name. We don't know this right away. I just spoiled a little bit about the Beast Wars series by even saying that. If you do decide to sit down and watch it, I'm going to throw out some spoiler warnings here and there because I'm going to talk a little bit about like things the character does in the series. Um, headline, I don't want to bury the lead. This is my favorite Transformers villain, hands down. Um, above Starscream, above Megatron, Galvatron, Unicron, anybody you want to name. Uh, he is easily the most interesting, the most entertaining, the most charming, and the most, at times, kind of disturbing of the Transformers villains. He's a terrific character. Why? Well, let's back up first and talk about his, the whole point in the, the, the uh, framing of these journal entries is talking about how I encountered them as a younger person and how I think about them now, how my opinion might have changed, and what, the, what I think the writers were trying to do that got me to react the way I did. When Beast Wars came out in 1995, I think the cartoon came out in 1996, so I'm all of 21, 22 years old, but I'm, I'm still a huge Transformers fan. Um, when I was in high school, um, my, a buddy and I were trying to uh, create a Transformers role-playing module for the Palladium system of role-playing so we could role-play Transformers, right? We, 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 I, I was thinking really hard about like the nature of uh, the different spiritual aspects of Transformers lore. Like, okay, well, how do you reconcile the, like, the way the Matrix is talked about in the comics versus the cartoon? And how does Vector Sigma figure into this? Could there be like sort of like a holy trinity of like Vector Sigma, the Matrix, and, and something else? Primus, right? Primus, the, the, the god, the creator god of that, that became Cybertron, right? I, I was spending a lot of time thinking really hard about this stuff. So when Beast Wars came out, of course I was interested, of course I was intrigued, but the moment I heard what it was, that it was Transformers who turned into organic animals, I was instantly suspicious. I'm like, oh, I don't know about this. Um, does, is it going to break the whole premise of the series? I'm like, well, if it's robots in disguise, then I think if you have like good guys, bad guys, robots in disguise, and an ongoing civil war to control Cybertron, it seems like it should work, right? But at the same time, I had my arms crossed the whole time. It took seven episodes. I watched seven episodes of the series in a row after it aired. And it wasn't in a row. I think I was watching it as it aired. Um, and by, it, was, it was by episode seven, which I think is called Power Surge, when Pterosaur like, gets like, shocked by these Energon crystals to become like, super powerful for short bursts of time and tries to take over the Predacons. Um, that was like, okay, I'm in. I think, I think this is going to be good. Uh, and what's the premise? 
So the premise is it takes place 300 years or so after the Gen 1 cartoon. And now instead of Autobots and Decepticons, they are now called Maximals and Predacons. And the, in, the, the implication is that they're smaller now because they can turn into, they land on this planet. Oh, so Optimus Primal, who is not Optimus Prime, and this small team of explorers gets assigned to track down this ship full of Predacons led by this renegade named Megatron. And they get into a battle outside the orbit of this planet that they don't know. Sound familiar? And they both crash land and they can't leave. They land on this planet and it looks like primitive Earth, except for the fact that there's two moons. And this is, this is an important thing at the end of season one. Uh, so is it Earth? Isn't it Earth? Is it? I mean, because there's cheetahs. There's rhinoceri, there's like dinosaur bones in the mountains. And uh, the, the weird thing about this planet too, besides the two moons, is uh, there's a lot of energon on this planet. It's not like in Gen 1 where there's like, oh, there's lots of resources that we can turn into energon. No, there's like pure energon crystals just like everywhere. So much so that there's like this radiation from energon that will actually be, it's like too much energon. They'll actually die from exposure if they don't do something about it. So this is why they come up with beast modes, their animal modes, because the, the organic materials that they cover themselves with in their, in their uh, beast modes protect them from the energon radiation. So it's both a disguise thing, but it's also a protection thing, which creates some interesting sort of tensions in the battle scenes in the episodes, because like they really they can't stay in robot mode for very long. Which, when I first encountered the show, I was like, I don't know about that. That's going to be kind of a drag watching this like goofy rat walking around with a rhinoceros. Never mind the fact that Rat Trap, he's on my list to talk about this month. I love Rat Trap with all my heart. Anyway, Megatron. So Megatron, one of the reasons uh, I started started to really grab onto the character um, is the fact that he, oh my gosh, he has so much more personality than Gen 1 Megatron, in my opinion. He's so charming. He's got this kind of Prince of Darkness vibe to him, this vampiric thing going on where, uh, well, anybody who's followed my other podcasts uh, may have checked out a show that I was part of called The Galaxy of Super Adventure, which I made with my buddies, um, Zach Gialongo, Ben Hatke, Lucy Bellwood, and more. And uh, in, in it was like sort of like a, a comics discussion show that also had some play acting in it. So it has like part radio show, part comics discussion. And in it, one of the characters I played was a character named Tax Crow, who, was, who spoke like, oh, caw, caw. oh, I do hope, and so on. And it was anybody who, you know, had a good ear and watched the shows I watched was like, oh, yeah, that's just Jersey doing a bad impersonation of Beast Wars Megatron played by David Kay. <laughs> but he has like this, that voice, it has this like, it's not the, 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 the gravelly, searing voice of Frank Welker's Gen 1 Megatron. It's smooth, it's melodious, and, and it's got this kind of like, come into my parlor kind of vibe to it. And and he's also, he's weird, he's so weird. Like, it'll, it'll cut to scenes of him just sitting in his throne chair thing in the base, and when he's, he turns into a, a Tyrannosaurus Rex, but when he's in robot mode, the T-Rex's head is one of his hands, which is weird enough, but like he'll be sitting there brushing the T-Rex's teeth while he's sitting in the chair. Um, there, there's just like this odd, silly bend to him that feels playful, but because of the fact that he is, and they say it they say it in the dialogue of the show, like he's, he's kind of a psycho. Um, Dinobot, his former lieutenant who switches sides to the Maximal says like, you know, your ambition has made you insane because when you find out what his real agenda is, which is in season two, agenda part one, two, and three, you're like, holy crap, that is, kind of scary that you'd go that far 
to do what you want to do. Like it starts out with like, oh yeah, he's just after Energon, but then you find out what his real agenda is, and it's like, holy cow, it's uh, that that's that's a bigger that's a bigger um, a more a bigger plan than any of the, the past Megatrons that we've seen. Well, there was only one before that, which I don't want to spoil anything more. It kind of ties into Gen One Megatron a little bit, um, but so he's he's got this sort of half comedic but also i guess it's like it's like a dark comedy about the character but and it, and it, which just makes the silliness like there's a scene where he's like so uh maximals and predacons repair themselves in these things called cr chambers um and in the maximal base it's just like this pod they got like, climb into and they get repaired but with the predacons it's like a, it's like a bath it's like a, a tub full of this glowing white liquid that they go into and then they're repaired um and they would cut to a scene of Megatron just sitting in a tub of that stuff with a rubber ducky, right? And then, like, one of, them, one of his lieutenants would call him on the screen, and he would give them orders. So, like, that silliness up against this guy who's truly frightening and menacing, and, and really, I mean, like, more... They make it clearer with him than they did with Gen 1 Megatron that all of his cronies are tools to him. This is where we get to that whole, like... um you know, sociopath, psychopath kind of thing. Um, he really doesn't have any strong feelings about any of his troops. Even Inferno, and this is where we get to more of that weird kind of comedy about him, is Inferno is a, uh, a maximal protoform that Megatron reprograms into a Predacon, does his little scan to look for compatible life forms, and he scans an ant. And so Inferno turns into this giant fire ant. And he believes that Megatron is the queen of his colony. Like, something's wrong with his programming a little bit, so he actually thinks he's an ant. Um, he still hates Maximals. You know, Maximals are the enemies of the colony, <laughs> and Megatron is the queen of his colony. And so when Megatron gives him orders, uh, Inferno always, always says, yes, my queen. You know, and then Megatron will turn to the camera and say, oh, I do wish he wouldn't call me that. You know, it, it, which is like, he's big, scary vampire, devil, demon, uh, Decepticon, Predacon character. And yet he still has like that kind of moment where he can turn to the camera. And that's another thing he does a lot. I have to wonder, and that's where we could talk about design principles or design ideas, is that this is the first time Transformers have teeth in the cartoons. Now, I know Andrew Wildman famously added teeth to the Transformers in the comic books, but... In the cartoon, we they never really had teeth before or pupils. And in this show, and this this was an off-putting thing when I first started watching, but then I saw the benefit of actually like intimating where their pupils were because you got more expression out of the faces. But Megatron has this glistening row of perfectly straight teeth. And he will often, when he is very pleased with himself and he's done something especially wicked, he will turn and look at you, the viewer, and smile. And they'll hold on it for like a good second or two. Um... There's a <laughs> there's even a point a point where uh, he discovers there's a traitor in his mist and it's like it's like well into season two it's like towards the end of season two he finds out that the character that we think is a, a regular run of the mill Predacon has actually been spying on him for some other party and he turns to the camera and says and I never suspected you know. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's this weird sort of like goose flesh kind of humor about him that I find really really compelling. As somebody who loves John Carpenter movies, like I don't really go in for a lot of horror films, but I like eerie, creepy John Carp Carpenter-ish movies. 
and Megatron feels like he 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 plucks some of those strings. Um, so and then and then the other thing is he's not the leader of all the Predacons, and I think this is an interesting twist they put on the on the series. The premise of the series is is that there's essentially peace between the Maximals and, and the Predacons. It's an uneasy peace. Um, they have a lot of animosity between the Maximals and Predacons, but they're not fighting. There's this this document called the Pax Cybertronia, where uh, they, you know, they agree to work together, and Megatron is a renegade who has stolen an important artifact from Cybertron to go in search of what starts out as Energon but turns into a much bigger plot. Um, and so that's interesting too, is that like that makes him feel even less of a greedy child and more of, he, ha he has the language of um, a revolutionary to clothe himself in, which makes him seem even more sinister because he's using, you know, like there's there's an episode where he even says like, you know, um, a day of reckoning with those who made us slaves, he says, talking about the Maximals. And, right, like, does he really feel that way? Or is he just saying this because this is language that makes him seem like he's he's actually justified in his behavior? Not that he t he's terribly uh, concerned about justifying himself to anybody else, because another thing about him that I love is uh, he really doesn't give a darn about what anybody else around him thinks. And this is part, part more of his, uh, what I would consider to be his sociopathy. Uh, yeah, he's... he's, he's uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't characterize that as like a an admirable trait in him. It just makes him all the more menacing and frightening. Um, but he's menacing and frightening that can be funny, which makes him even more frightening to me, if that makes sense. Um, it was it was hard to get to the end of the series because I was so over the moon for Beast Wars. I really, really loved Beast Wars a lot when it was airing. I thought about it all the time. And uh, and when I knew that, oh, the third season, because by, by this time, not only was I an adult, but there was the internet, so I was able to get advanced news about what was happening with the show. And I found out that season three was the final season. It gave it kind of a bittersweet feeling of like, oh, it, it, with each episode, we're counting down to the last time I get to watch a new Beast Wars episode. So my heart was kind of in my throat, and I didn't, I don't feel like I really was present for the final episode when I watched it. Um, and it wrapped up really fast, and then it leapt over to the next series called Beast Machines, which I know it's 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 a mixed bag. A lot of people, there's people who love it, there's people who hate it. The thing that I didn't, one thing about Beast Wars Megatron in Beast Machine series that I really didn't enjoy was they kind of emphasized this whole idea of him not wanting to have an organic part anymore. And he turns into this whole, uh, almost like an obsessive compulsive thing. Like I got to cure myself of get this, this, this filth off of me. I haven't watched it since 2000, 2001. So I know there was a whole business with Noble Savage and like sort of like Megatron getting split in two somehow. Um, I, so maybe I would find some new things to enjoy in there if I watched it again. But um, he went from being charming and funny to being more dry and dour and aggrieved, which was a less fun Megatron to watch. Um, <laughs> my, the, going back to 
you know, the Beast Wars Megatron pre-Beast Machines, um, a thing that was so wonderful about him is that he always seemed like he was in, he had everything under control until the very moment he didn't. Right? It was always, he was very like, ah, oh, Optimus Primal, I am ready to torture you. You know, he's, he's always cheerful and, and calm and collected until the moment he gets thrown off a cliff. And then you just hear the, Yay! as he falls to, to his apparent death, but he never dies. Uh, so, yeah, uh, he's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of fun in Beast Wars Megatron. I know the animation looks dated. If you go back and watch it, you're going to notice a lot of things like they don't have shadows in season one. And they even made fun of that when they did a reading of a, a fan script at BotCon one year. Uh, but the animation, you get to, the neat thing is you get to watch it improve over three seasons to where it's like, oh, they figured this out. Oh, they figured out how to do that now. Um, so that while, once you get to season three, it's by, it's by no means Pixar, but it's, it's, it's fun to watch it improve and grow. Um, and it's, it was a fun, it was a fun series where it was basically, um, it's like more of a Gilligan's Island kind of thing where they're stranded on a planet. There's a small cast. So you really get to focus on the cast and develop them with the exception of a couple characters. But for the most part, you actually get to learn a lot about the characters in the series. And instead of it being like, well, here's your one episode about gears. Enjoy. Here's your one episode about power glide. Enjoy. You get, lots of stories about Rat Trap, and you get to watch him grow into a different character towards the end of the series. And same with Cheetor. Same with Rhinox, for that matter. Um, and Beast Wars Megatron as well. So, anyway, okay, I think I've talked enough about him. So, this is part of the Art Sound Off Challenge, artsoundoff.com, artsoundoff hashtag on all social media, where every day for the month of November, various people, uh, various artists get together and journal about their art for the day. And what I've been doing for my particular um, entries is focusing on a Transformer a day, every day, and thinking about how they've influenced my art and what it is, unpacking what I love about these characters and maybe coming to some conclusions as to like what I like to write about in my work. And that is to say that this is also part of the 4 Million Years Later podcast, 4millionyearslater.com, all spelled out. Um, and at the end of this Explore, exploration of 30 characters. Uh, my buddy and I, my buddy Hoover and I are going to do a weekly entry uh, sort of reviewing each episode of Transformers Gen 1 as we watch them. So if you haven't subscribed yet and you do enjoy these essays, please do subscribe because a lot of neat stuff is coming up in the months to come. So I'll be back tomorrow with another Thunder Punch Daily. Until then, remember everybody. In today's story, you saw how the widgets were fooled by Evil Lynn's disguise. They learn that bad things can be made to look good and why we should always be careful and question everything that doesn't seem right. But it works both ways, and that's why the saying you can't judge a book by its cover is so important. What it means is that appearances can be deceiving, and you shouldn't judge books or people by the way they look. It's what's inside that really counts.